0: They can jump to light speed. But stop! They're getting closer. Oh, yeah? Watch this. Uh,
1: Watch what? I think we're in trouble.
0: Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where God knows,
1: God knows I want to break free.
0: In Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick.
1: And I'm Julia.
0: And today we're talking about Minute 81 which begins with Savannah picking a dazed Max up off the ground, and it ends with the generator train leaving its station. Wrapping up the week with us are two keepers of the Journal of the Wills, Pete the Retailer and Comic Book Alex from the Star Wars Minute. Hello. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. I know, Pete, you have the distinct achievement of being immortalized, at least in name, in a Star Wars comic It's not just a name. I am immortal now. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, have you been so lucky as to have an analog?
2: Uh, I believe I have a planet named after me in uh, the the canonical Star Wars universe.
0: Oh, even better!
2: I don't remember what the permutation of it is. Pete, do you remember offhand? I think it's like uh, LX seven. LX
3: Robin Sun or something like that. It's (laughs) like LX. Which so what is that like sixty Robin Sun or something? Yeah, something like that. So yeah yeah
2: i'm immortal also we're highlanders
0: right so for people that don't read the star wars comics alex has a planet and pete your character is a technician i think it is
3: yeah she's a tech officer
0: tech officer (laughs) named Mm -hmm. pete is it deritalia or something like that
3: yeah usually i say deritalia i don't know i should we should ask chris (laughs) what the what the how he meant it um but it's, yeah, it's a, our friend Chris Iliopoulos was did a uh, couple of stories for the official Star Wars comics and, and uh, gave us some shout outs.
0: Nice. We have one listener specifically that's. Only
2: one in, listener? In,
0: well, <laughs> saying, let, me <laughs> finish, let me finish. Let me finish. We have one special listener in particular who is very closely related to the Mad Max comic books. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, he should run out and put a Rick and Julia character in the next Mad Max comic. But, Mark, if you want to, I won't stop you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know you feel awkward about it. I will say, uh, yes, he should be doing this. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Come on.
3: All the free entertainment
2: they're giving you? Come on.
3: Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Come so would on. It, what would it be like a... Uh... Do you want to kind of some kind of uh, marauder or something, or or?
0: Oh, obviously. I mean, or would you want to would... be something
2: like in the wreckage? You know what I mean? Like they come across a a, a diner with your name on it or something,
0: right? Even just uh, Max driving past a burnt-out streamlined trailer and inside is a bunch of radio equipment with two skeletons sitting next to a <laughs> pair of microphones. Wow. Would you be mad if
2: he introduced characters that were named after you and then he had them die in like a humiliating like way? Or would you just be happy to be a part of it?
0: As long as there are no giant piles of goldfish involved.
3: Mm, right. Well, now, now that we set that up, I think that's what has to happen. <laughs>
1: You know, all the humiliation that they put Ironbar through, and we still think he's a pretty awesome character. See? I think I would be okay with dying in a humiliating way.
2: (laughs) In the movie and in real life. Yeah.
0: One thing's for sure. It's an honor just to be considered. Yeah, right. We don't necessarily have to walk away with the statue at the end of the night. It's just an honor to be nominated. Exactly. (laughs) We get rolling today with Screwloose running back to the train as Savannah picks Max up off the ground. This poor guy, he gets smacked in the face with a shovel. And then he gets steamrolled by like a 12-year-old on a swinging rope. It's just not his day. He needs a little bit of help. So Pig Killer over on the train has everyone load up and he turns that engine over and it gets going and these kids they take their position eddie leans out the caboose window and he yells go and piggy like hang on and they get going
3: wait did he say go he did okay I, i was
0: eddie is the little boy that leaned out the window and he shouted go
3: uh I, I did. I didn't know if that was distinct dialogue because I was going to say I was impressed that you basically the three minutes that we've been here, each one had one like one <laughs> bit of dialogue. Like the first one was just uh, what's his name saying hi, mm-hmm. and then uh, the in in eighty it was just uh, uh, pig killer saying all aboard, and then this one was just him saying like hang on. Like I thought, it was just this nice little one, like economy of dialogue. Yeah, it's very succinct. I'm not going to totally discount it because somebody says go first. That's fine. It's still it's still very succinct. Still very very uh, um, efficient.
0: But it's one of those nice things that George Miller likes to do. He talked about at one point this idea that you can make a movie where the people who write the subtitles have an easy job. Hmm. and people in other countries don't have to spend the entire movie reading.
3: Right. That's very, you know, forward thinking. Now that's a there's a lot of a uh, lot of thought put into that at, at the high levels of everything. Uh, high levels of entertainment.
0: You could argue that there are a lot of movie series, a lot of movies in general that would benefit from showing more and explaining less. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> I was uh, listening to uh, I re- listened to a podcast and they were talking about Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. And they said they would have um, sort of an, a rivalry, and an unspoken rivalry about who could put the least amount of title cards in the movie. <laughs> you know I mean, like, who could tell the story with as few words as possible? And uh, right. I think Keaton won with, like like, some low number, like, to like 10 or something like only 10 title cards throughout the whole movie or something. It might be more, but it it was, it was a low number, but uh, you know, clearly these are guys who are used to thinking in visual terms. So, right. That is low. low. (laughs)
3: Should be able to do it with none. That's that, that's, that was like the, yeah, the the kind of, uh, you know, purist, like dogma 95 or something of the of the era. They're like, "No, man, you like you have to be able to tell the whole story with just your actions." It's like, "No, no, the title cards are cheating."
2: Title cards. <laughs> I thought you were a real filmmaker.
3: Yeah.
1: I question Eddie's line of go because Eddie's never seen a vehicle before. How does he know that this hunk of Whatever is supposed to go from one place to another. We missed the scene where everybody climbed aboard and had the idea and executed that idea of taking the truck train. Hmm. So did Pig Killer explain, hey everybody, climb on this thing. This thing is gonna run along the tracks and get us out of here. Hmm. Cause they've never seen a vehicle like this before. I mean none of us have seen a vehicle like this before. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well maybe they, they just think it's like a um it's like some kind of weapon or something. They know that everybody's excited and moving towards it. So it's like, I don't know, go, like make it make it make it happen, whatever this is. Like activate. You know? Like, <laughs>
0: He also could just be saying what the audience is thinking. Right. Like, go. Oh, stop go. wasting all of this time <laughs> in Underworld. Get going. <laughs> the lovely thing about this train is not only is it a generator, but it's also a truck. And according to MadMaxMovies.com, the resource that we all love to talk about, the train is made from a 1965 Mac HD with a specially modified axle base width to ride the rails, as well as an all-over customization to give it that aged and weathered look.
3: So it's in HD. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that it's also a Mac, because back in Road Warrior, we had the Mac R600 Cool Power, mm. which was a key part of the finale.
1: So on the production side of things, they had to modify the wheelbase of this truck to allow it to run on the tracks. Mm-hmm. I think you said they had to widen it to align and also, you know, change the actual wheels.
0: It says that it's a specially modified base width. So they actually probably narrowed it. You think they
1: narrowed it? Yeah, 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 Mm. I agree. That same customization would have had to take place in-universe. Mm-hmm. That's a big job. It is. That's a very big job.
3: Yeah, but they've got a lot of people working on it.
0: That's the thing I like about these apocalypse movies is you look at these accomplishments and you're like, wow, that's a lot of work. But then you also think, what else do they have to do?
3: Yeah, human resources are abundant.
0: Yeah, like... Oh, that must have taken them forever. Well, you know they don't have newspapers right. or television or anything to distract them from work, so they wake up, get working on it, stop for food, and then keep working. As long as they got someone else to find food for them, they can just keep going.
3: You would think that there would you would see more post apocalyptic jigsaw puzzles. Like people would be like, "Oh, here's something I can do." Like, <laughs> that's
2: so weird. I was just <laughs> I was just thinking about how useless jigsaw puzzles are today.
3: Hmm.
1: I don't know about that. We lost power the other day. A summer storm blew through. We lost power for three hours. And after about a half an hour, I was a little bit at a loss of what to do with myself. (laughs) Like, okay, well, everything that I might like to do, I can't because it requires electricity. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I was at a loss.
3: You need a a hand-cranked Victrola and a jigsaw puzzle. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
2: I mean, don't get me wrong. It can be fun to do. But the fact that you only thought to do it during a blackout is not a good sign for as something that's entertaining. You know what I
1: mean? Right. Entertainment of last resort.
2: Yeah, it's like, well yeah. I have a rubber ball I can bounce up against the wall. This is fun. Wait, you do? <laughs> yeah, but you're not getting your hands on it. <laughs> oh man <laughs> You threw my last one down the sewer. I can't. Uh... Mm, that was an accident. So I think this, um, I mentioned this earlier in the week, but the scene of the truck kind of breaking free and starting, the truck trains starting to move and stuff, that to me seems like the most, like, kind of a. a like obviously filmed in a studio huge you know reminds me of like isn't there Goonies don't they like a, a ship come loose and stuff and yeah the pirate mm-hmm. ship kind of breaks yeah, through the that's wall that's kind of what it reminds me of like and, some mm. ridiculously huge thing coming to life and, and kids running around right
3: and a little bit this is where I wrote Temple of Doom because oh, yeah. it's that same kind of like going from that dank underworld to like outside land where it's bright yeah. and sunny
0: let's talk about sets maybe I'm pretty sure underworld is the only built set in this movie everything else was more or less on location. Bartertown was shot in Bartertown, in a quarry. <laughs> and the crack in the earth was part of a national park uh-huh. and Underworld was inside of a old auction house where they used to sell livestock and things like
2: hmm. that. Hmm. There you go.
0: It's not exactly the same thing as Hook where every single thing was a set and they were all built indoors.
2: Right. Yeah, fair enough.
0: But it is nice that we're Just breaking free, this giant truck train generator thing straining against the pipes that are venting its stuff up into the open air and straining at the cables that connect it to all of the transformers and generator aspects to it. And, oh, as it pulls, you've got Pig Killer, and he's in the driver's seat, and he's bouncing, and he's rocking back and forth just trying to will it forward as the wheels spark against the tracks.
1: I kind of felt like... Pig killer's command to hang on like momentum has kind of been building and his hang on is kind of the release of that tension Mm -hmm. like okay this is it we're going hang on and nothing happens yeah. Right. It's very much this letdown, but it's not really a letdown because then they start to show us the next level attention that's building, that they're pulling on the pipes. Mm-hmm. So emotionally, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride.
0: Hmm. I feel like him saying hang on was like hang on because as soon as we break free of this stuff we're gonna lurch forward suddenly
3: hmm. i was lurch again <laughs> <laughs> did you uh wait so you think he's actually saying like he's using the idiom hang on or he's actually telling them to hang on this is what we're we're not sure
0: i think he's legitimately telling them to grab onto something right that we are about to push this thing harder in a different way than we usually push it, then it's been pushed in a long time. Yeah, right.
1: I think perhaps Pig Killer is an awfully good communicator for the kids. We've discussed before the kids, they speak English, but it's not our English. It's almost degraded It's a not the bit.
0: Queen's English?
1: It's not. Queen's English. Mm. They don't have idioms and metaphors. They take everything literally. If you say, hang on, they're going to grab something and hang on. So the communication that Pig Killer has had with them so far, saying all aboard and hang on, can both be idioms. That's how we hear them. Mm-hmm. But to the kids, they're very literal and they still apply. So they match up very well. Max has trouble communicating with the kids, but Pig Killer, nice. He's doing good he's
0: young at heart yeah max <laughs> uses a lot of metaphors when he talks if you wander out into the wasteland the first place you'll find is a cesspit called barter town and they don't know what a cesspit is they don't know what he means when he says oh you'll be swallowed up by it you know he's got to speak more plainly
3: right but you, you sound like you know like maybe you sound like the youth the youth culture <laughs> it's like, hey man with all your fancy words like i well, just you know say what say what you mean. <laughs>
0: One thing that really stands out to me as this train is struggling to get moving, I'm reminded of that one scene where, well, I'd say that one scene, it happens often in the Star Wars movies, but where Han is having trouble with the hyperdrive in the Millennium Falcon, and there's that one point where Leia says, oh, would it help if I got out and pushed? Right. Because in this instance, it actually would help (laughs) if Carrie Fisher was there just to push on the train a little bit get it going
1: <laughs> i know that carrie fisher did metaphorically get out and push on a script that we were talking about and i was taking a moment to remember it was hook yep she uh. came in and worked on the script for hook punching it up and giving it a little push
0: hoping yeah. whoever wrote that screenplay do tinkerbell a bit more justice right yeah and that's how her and george wound up on that bridge
3: we did write that screenplay originally.
1: We should know, considering that we're reviewing it on our Patreon podcast, mm-hmm. but I don't. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's all right. When you do something five minutes at a time, I think you're allowed a little bit more leeway. Yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine doing such a thing. Five. I
2: mean, each episode must be like an hour and a half long.
0: <laughs> well, when we record it. It starts out at about an hour, but by the time we trim it down and get rid of all of the pregnant pauses... The tight, <laughs> yeah, they land about
1: 45 minutes. Oh, okay.
0: yeah, That's not
3: so bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, not so bad at all.
3: Speaking of that, have you guys, uh, in doing research, I saw that people were making parallels saying a lot of Thunderdome was taken more or less wholesale from the uh, book Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban. Have you heard that or, or have, you, have you read that? We have not.
1: No, not at all. I don't even recognize those names.
3: Yeah, Russell, Russell Hoban. It it sounded familiar. I, I had heard of the book before. It's it's on probably a couple of lists of sci fi kind of novels uh, that I people one some one person or another has told me I should have read. Mm-hmm. And it's a, you know it's similar thing and it's post-apocalyptic and there's like a new culture and i think it's more kind of deals with the cultural stuff uh but apparently has has a lot of the ideas specific to thunderdome in it i don't know i mean not the thunderdome itself but the specific Mm. to this movie yeah But then I was looking him up, and I didn't even realize that he was the same guy who wrote uh, Emma Dotter's Jug Band Christmas and the whole Francis series of of children's books, like Bread and Jam for Francis and all that stuff. And I was like, wow, that's a weird scope. Yeah. (laughs) Like. So, yeah, I wrote, you know, a book that influenced Mad Max and, you know, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas.
0: <laughs> Ridley Walker is, like you said, a book by Russell Hoban. It's set about 2,000 years after a nuclear war has devastated world civilizations, and the main action of the story begins when the young narrator, Ridley Walker, stumbles upon efforts to recreate a weapon of the ancient world. The novel's characters live a harsh life in a small area which is presently the English county of Kent and know nothing of the world outside of inland, which is what they call England. Their level of civilization is similar to England's prehistoric Iron Age, although they do not produce their own iron but salvage it from ancient machinery. Church and state have combined into one secretive institution whose mythology, based on misinterpreted stories of the war and an old Catholic saint, Eustace specifically, is enacted in puppet shows.
3: Oh, all right. Yeah, right. Yay, puppet shows.
0: Which sounds very, very similar to the yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: I, I have not read it, nor do I own it, so I, I maybe I'll be able to report back down the road.
0: But. It was published in 1980 in print specifically. I've never heard people say that the two are similar. The main thing that we've been comparing Beyond Thunderdome to was Lord of the Flies. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that makes sense to the kids.
0: The idea that Terry Hayes, the screenwriter, went to George Miller and said, hey, I've got this Lord of the Flies-esque story. Because Lord of the Flies is from 1954, so it had a lot more time to percolate in the collective unconscious. So eventually the train does break free, which just feels like sweet justice for any train that was pulled from the tracks and made into a generator, like the character of Smudger from Thomas and Friends. Is that
2: the one where he's bricked up into the wall?
1: Oh, that is dark.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He's a show-off. He rode too rough, and he would derail himself all the time, Mm. and he was told to behave, and he didn't. And so they pulled him and turned him into a generator, built a wall around him.
1: Yeah. Which I have no problem with the punishment as long as a life sentence had a distinct end, that someday he would die. Mm -hmm. But he's a sentient object. There's nothing in him that is going to cause a natural death. Hmm. He's not going to grow old and die. He's just going to live forever behind the wall. So that then becomes an inappropriate punishment for the crime.
0: The most horrifying thing is that Smudger is affiliated with the Mid-Sodor Railway. And apparently the Mid-Sodor Railway closed down. So there's a chance that not only was he turned into a generator, but he was then abandoned when the railway he was working with shut down and they just forgot him there.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, they did.
0: Wow. It's
3: like a horror story.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: (laughs) It's like the cask of (laughs) Amontillado. Oh, Smudger. (laughs) Poor, poor Smudger. He doesn't get to live again as the getaway vehicle for post-apocalyptic road warriors and such.
3: Not yet. I think it's up to us to tell that story. Exactly.
0: See, we just need a Thomas and Friends set after a nuclear apocalypse and have a bunch of people storm in and save Smudger. But knowing how much of a show-off he is, he probably wouldn't be humbled and he would immediately derail them. Ugh. Mm.
1: (laughs) He'd be so excited to be free that he would, you know, run wild and yeah, derail himself.
3: Wow. Happens to the best of us. (laughs) (laughs) And,
0: And because people in that world talk to their trains, they would say, Smudger, why did you derail us? And he would be like, oh, you always knew what I was. It's in my nature that's true Mm -hmm. it's like the parable of the scorpion and the frog
2: right now which one is which one is he he's the
0: scorpion yeah he would be the scorpion who stings the frog despite it would mean him drowning got it yeah back in underworld back in the actual movie that we're discussing we've got smoke we've got flames we've got sparks and transformers exploding it is a lot of hubbub a lot of noise and we cut outside and find auntie she is riding the elevator down from her penthouse and just explosions start happening on the hillside behind her and as we get even lower on the elevator we find that buildings are on fire everything is just blowing up
2: see, that part reminded me of Raiders of the Lost Ark specifically when um Balosh, when they right when they're at the flying wing and they're, that mm-hmm. whole thing's going on and uh, Balosh steps out of his tent and then he suddenly like just a building in the behind him just blows up and he's all like Jones that's what that <laughs> scene reminded me of that he was like you know she was she was the Belosh in that situation
1: I'm inclined to assume that all the hubbub above ground doesn't necessarily correspond to what's going on below ground, that it is for the presentation for the movie. Do you think that that is true? Or do you think that it's a legitimate one-to-one, what we see above ground and what we see below ground.
2: Hmm. You mean like uh, like what was happening would not really make that thing blow up? That exactly. Kind of okay. Yeah. Hmm. I'm
3: going to believe that it's literal.
0: Yeah. One-to-one. I'm thinking that the way they store their methane is not super stable and reliable And OSHA compliant. (laughs) There's no workplace safety regulations in the post-apocalypse, so they probably just have pipes and things feeding methane down into the generator or attached in some way to that central room. So as the train starts rolling away, these poorly stored pockets of methane are... Exploding and sending these giant hot fireballs up into the sky. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Although, despite all of the explosions and things happening around us, I do have one major curiosity. The people that normally turn the crank on Auntie's elevator Mm. were down in Underworld and got knocked out. By Max and the kids. Technically, Pig Killer and the kids, but you know what I'm trying to say. Right.
1: Well, it did seem that either they had been reassigned to be down there, or they were off.
0: So you think there's like a B team?
1: Yes, I think there's a B team.
0: Right. She's got to have a backup.
1: By the way, before we get too far away from the topic, OSHA is still called OSHA in Australia. Really? Yes. Hmm. The Occupational Health Services of Australia.
0: Okay. I googled
1: it because I assumed OSHA would be called something different in Australia, but nope, it's Mm. still OSHA.
0: Mm. So it's Mm. OSA.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: Oh wow. So for America, it's the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and it's a government agency.
3: You
2: sound like you guys sound like Jar Jar Binks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Who's that? Australia, on the other hand, it's Occupational Health Services australia like you said Mm. so apparently being on the other side of the world some things are backwards The H and the S are switched and the toilets spin a different direction. They drive on the opposite side of the road. Cats and dogs living together, complete pandemonium.
3: (laughs) Perennially backwards day. Opposite day.
0: (laughs) Despite the mysterious origin of all of these explosions and fires and things like that, it is nice to see them return because we had so many lovely fire effects back in Road Warrior and there was that one gigantic explosion that consumed the compound. It's nice to see things blowing up again. It feels more <laughs> Mad Maxi.
3: Just in general, it's nice to see things blowing up again. Yeah. But there we go we needed we needed to, to get rid of that subtext and have this all this is this is what we wanted <laughs> clear as day it's just exploding
0: that's fine all along mm-hmm. fewer children more gas explosions right
3: and no children exploding we don't want that that's not a that's a bad medium we don't want to we don't want to compromise there
0: yeah if we can avoid exploding children right that would be ideal
2: right Well, <laughs> oh, how else are you gonna to get those kidneys out of there <laughs> <laughs>
0: In the last five, six seconds of this minute, we get to see the generator train actually start to roll along its tracks. We've got a bit more of a way to go before we finally exit Underworld, but we're more or less on our way. And I find it interesting that the generator train is still on tracks. Right.
2: Well, I guess once they, once they moved it in there, they don't want to lift it up and pull the tracks out. You know what I mean?
0: But it would make sense to remove at least a portion of the tracks like if it's going in there as a permanent fixture yeah maybe don't give it an avenue to leave. Yeah. Seems like an interesting choice that they've made.
3: You think that these were pre-apocalyptic? This was like a railway, <laughs> like the train went through here and then they kind of used it to get their like do you think they built that place because of they built Bartertown because they could put a train there? They could bring a train there because there were tracks or did they move the tracks, build tracks to go or adjust tracks to go to Bartertown after they had already settled?
0: I guess I always assumed that Bartertown was built on top of a mine. Oh right. And this train generator was part of the mining operation to move material in and out of the mine. Sure. That would make sense. I guess I always just figured that.
1: I think I did too. A counter argument to that that will come up in future minutes is that these tracks are in very, very good shape.
3: Yes. Yes, they Mm. are. Well, it could be they get used more than we think, more than we see. Mm. Because getting used... Makes tracks uh, nicer and cleaner, right? It keeps them keeps them in good shape. Yes, because you're constantly kind of grinding stuff against them.
0: Mm-hmm. And we know that there are other vehicles that use these tracks. We see it later on this movie where Iron Bar. Spoiler alert! I guess Iron Bar doesn't die in the vat of poop. We find that out next week, but he shows up on a hand-operated train car. So wherever these tracks go, there's a very good chance that Barter Town could use the hand-powered crank car to go along the tracks. Right. But it just... Ah, it confounds me. (laughs) Like, why it's so easy for them to leave. I know it's probably narrative convenience, (laughs) but still. (laughs)
1: Well, it is. I suspect that... We don't see very much of the track. We see one end where the truck is and then the other end where there's a big mound, but we don't see really much in between. Mm -hmm. There could be a branch in the track that leads off to another area. My guess is where the feed comes from.
0: Oh.
1: So they use the train, the hand-cranked train car to move feed around.
0: That would explain a lot because we had that very important question of where do they get the food for all of these pigs? Mm -hmm. Right. They just go down the tracks.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But as for the minute at hand, we see a lot of dust and smoke pouring out of the engine of this truck. It's been a long time since it's been used. Long time. Plus, they probably also wanted to call back to the second movie where all of the dust and stuff flew out of the Mac when Max was starting it up there on the road.
1: Yeah, I definitely thought of that. Mm-hmm. Made that connection.
3: I definitely need to go back and, and rewatch these. I'll, I'll, I'll say all four of them because the <laughs> I only saw the the new one, the Once, in the theater, and then the other ones. Again, like I said, I haven't seen them in thirty years. So mm-hmm. definitely maybe worth a revisit. Who has time? Not me. But one of these <laughs> days, I'll, I'll I'll start to. I think the one I. I Ironically, the one that I've seen the most recently besides Fury Road was, was the original. So,
0: Well, as far as these four movies are concerned, I definitely share your grand philosophy that you watch them in release order. Always release order. Right,
3: (laughs) storytelling. You know, that's 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 the way that they were made. The way they things make sense that way.
0: It's a natural progression.
3: Are there alternative
2: theories among Mad Max heads that you're supposed to watch it in a different order?
0: There are some people that hold the opinion that you can skip the first one. There are some people that say only watch the first two, skip the third one. There are also a lot of people that say that Fury Road is not a good addition to the trilogy, that you watch the first three and then that's it. Mm. And that Fury Road is its own thing. And then, of course, you've got i think the vast majority of people where they're fine with all four
3: is fury road kind of a uh is it like the star trek movies where it's like kind of the same universe but not really or is it um is it can it slot nicely into the rest of them
0: the movie fury road is essentially like how they do doctor who okay it's the same universe, the same timeline. They've just recast the actor, Right. which rubbed some people the wrong way. Yeah. The more I spend watching Mel Gibson as Max, the more... Ah, bitter the idea of switching out for Tom Hardy gets. Hmm.
1: I think if Fury Road had been made post-Logan, Logan Logan showed us how an aging actor can still be phenomenal in a role that he played when he was a younger man. And also Mel Gibson would have circled back around to an employable state again.
0: When you have a public meltdown like Gibson had. Right. You've got to be set on the back bench before people start to forget what you did. Yeah. (laughs) And even then.
3: (laughs) Alex, you've seen Logan, right?
0: I did see Logan. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: I think having Hugh Jackman play an older version of himself brought a great deal of depth to that character. Mm -hmm. And I think Mel Gibson playing an older Max would have done the same thing. That being said, I am perfectly happy with Tom Hardy being Max. I think it's a great casting and he did a great job.
0: He's got very expressive eyes.
1: He does, which is perfect for Max, who likes to not talk.
0: Right. Yeah. I also like that Hugh Jackman, native Australian, playing a Canadian, (laughs) and then you've got Mel Gibson, native American. Well, native-born... Right. He's not a Native
3: American.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he born, was born in, in America, America,
0: playing an Australian because he was raised in Australia. Mm. I said on an earlier episode that we've yet to have a Max that was born in Australia, mm. huh. yeah. which just makes me chuckle.
3: Well, maybe, <laughs> the, maybe Max himself wasn't. We don't know that.
0: It's a very good point.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we do. Maybe somebody knows that. Maybe it's in one of the books or something. But. <laughs> are there books?
0: There are. There are novelizations of the movies. And there's also the comic book that was put out to bridge the gap between Thunderdome and Fury Road.
3: Now, who wrote the... Are they Alan Dean Foster's? Or are they... Uh, are they? Uh, I'm trying to remember who the, the second tier guy is for these. Who, who wrote the novelizations?
0: I'm pretty sure Terry Hayes wrote the novelization for the first movie, and George Miller liked the work that he did so much that he brought him on as a screenwriter for the second movie mm. i don't remember who did the novelization for the second movie but julia what does the front of the book say for thunderdome
1: joan ving
0: yep oh all right. and she wrote it based on the screenplay the screenplay right. uh,
3: legitimate sci-fi author yeah i'll allow it <laughs> like i have any say in the matter
0: <laughs> I find the novelizations very satisfying. Because oh, me too. they just add so much. Things that would bog down a standard film can be expanded on in the written work, and it makes everything a bit more deep. Mm-hmm. And they don't cut Gecko. <laughs> don't cut Gecko. <laughs> Poor Gecko. He had such an iconic look to him with the piece of radio equipment strapped to his chest and that crazy headset of his. And he just disappears from the movie with no resolution. And it's so sad. Almost as sad as his death scene. Hmm. That was cut. (laughs) Maybe they'll restore it. Maybe. In the deluxe.
1: Yeah, we're pretty sure it was filmed because there are clues, like some leftover bits and pieces that you can see in the background. So we're pretty sure it was filmed, just cut from the movie.
0: Although, considering that in the high octane blu-ray box set of mad max movies the thunderdome disc is the only one that doesn't have any bonus features
1: hmm. oh
0: yeah it was a real big bummer
1: especially because we know that behind the scenes documentary type stuff exists we found it on youtube
3: yeah yeah weird Oh, they'll. i'm sure they're sooner or later
0: it'll be an anniversary uh, release
1: and we'll have to buy it again
0: yep yeah well 2019 is going to herald in the 40-year anniversary for the original Mad Max movie. Mm, Wow. Yep. There's going to be a big get-together in, I forget which town exactly. It was going to be in Clunes. Clunes. But their venue was too small and they had to move it to a nearby location.
1: Oh, okay. So, So good turnout. That's great.
0: Anyone listening to this, it's still a few months out at the time of release for this episode, so you can look into it and find information if you want to head out there and check out the festivities. (laughs) I don't know if they have a website off the top of my head, and I I could look it up, but I don't don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) We're at the tail end of the week. My motivation level is dropping fast. Oh, Pete, Alex... You might as well tell everybody where to find more of you before I just completely slump down into my chair and bail on this.
2: Uh, Well, you can check out our podcast, Star Wars Minute. Minute. At StarWarsMinute.com. Minute. We uh, (laughs) go through the whole Star Wars uh, movies one minute at a time.
3: And then also, <laughs> yes, Alex, you do a you do a show called the Godfather Minute. Same idea, a little slower. You do it one a week, but only one a week. You, you mm-hmm. do uh, you go through the Godfather movies, uh, assuming potentially down the road. Right now, you're going through the Godfather with your brother.
2: Uh, and Pete, you also have a uh, you also are a co-host on a podcast called ABC Devo. Where you go through the entire Devo uh, album catalog, not the singles tracks, but just the albums uh, alphabetically from, what is it, 13? What's the Fourth number? Fourth dimension to deadly
0: World. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So whether your thing is mobsters or musicians or constantly maligned Mandalorians, they've got you covered <laughs> with podcast material. This is true. As for us, we've got our weekend show that we are still doing. <laughs> We are in week 27 of our coverage of Hook five minutes at a time. We get to join Peter this week as he wakes up on the street like someone who had too much to drink the night before. But everything that we've talked about so far actually did happen because he has a run-in with a familiar face and he has a bittersweet goodbye with Tinkerbell. And it's back to the row house where Peter recovers his cell phone, climbs a drain pipe, gets reunited with his family. It's all very touching if you haven't been listening to the weekend show up to this point go over to our patreon it's three bucks a month you can listen to the entire thing up to this point wait three dollars a month that's it? It's super affordable. It helps us keep the lights on the more that people give us the more manageable. The hosting fees are for our website and it really helps us out. So go check that out. Patreon.com slash Mad Super easy to find. If you're not going to join us for the weekend show, we will be back on Monday. We've still got more Thunderdome to go. And it's utter pandemonium because Barter Town is blowing up. People are running to and fro. They're trying to escape the explosions. And meanwhile, auntie's guards are just trying so hard. They're doing their darndest, guys, to control this crowd people are screaming, because everything's on fire, but those boys in, not blue, those
1: Boys in black?
0: Folks in feathers, I guess. Boys Boys in the band? It's a multi-gendered team. Hmm. Auntie doesn't discriminate who she puts on the guard, as long as they wear the feathered mohawk. (laughs) (laughs) That thin feathery line (laughs) between chaos and order, but we'll get to see them at work as they try to keep everybody calm as everything is literally on fire. Tell me about it. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
1: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers.
0: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com and our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com.
1: Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com You can follow us on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, like us on Facebook by searching. For Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone.
0: If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadmaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tea Public storefront by clicking the store link, join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link.
1: Thank you for joining us for Minute 81 of Beyond Thunderdome. We'll see you next time. Everybody sing.